0: Welcome to Paranormies. I am Johnny Monoxide, and tonight we got a full house. Dogbot is here. What's up?
1: Hey, how are you doing?
0: I'm well, thank you. Uh, also joining us this evening, Reinhard von Krieger.
2: What's up? I'm currently on Skull's time right now, so I am uh, just bare, just wide awake.
0: Right on All right, and uh, taking notes for us over there is Grognac. What's up? Hey. What's going on? Not much. Dude, I like this part of the song. The That's- Miami Vice part. Yes. Yes.
2: can't see it, but I'm slipping on some aviators.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: I like, like one it. of the Venga
1: boys.
0: No, no don't, no, don't. Stop it. What is wrong with you? <laughs> that is not even close to... That being like, no, no, not at all. And I still I still have not heard that song ever. Like, I know what it is. I know what it is because I've heard people, like, imitate it. But I've never actually heard that song. You're going to. Nope. Nope.
2: I actually never have heard it either.
0: You're, I'm sure neither of us are missing anything. No, I mean, it's, it's fine because, like, I have Barbie Girl, like, imprinted into my brain. So, like, there's other shit music that I have, like, no escape from why
2: why did you pull Barbie Girl out first? Thing? Oh, somebody
0: posted it in the chat the other day because it was a Mandela in there apparently. Oh okay, yeah, Bilbo Jenkins:
1: Yeah, there was a Mandela in the the boom boom boom
0: song, and uh supposedly i don't I wouldn't know enough about it to even participate in that discussion.
1: that there was only three booms, not four
0: Don't know, so. I also know there's another one, there's like a guy, it's like, boom, 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 let's go back to my room, and something, something, something. It's some guy, it's like a Greek dude. I don't know, I know Skull posted that. I know that song. I don't know the one you're talking about. I don't know the Venga Boys, one with that weird Puerto Rican skinny beard guy with the weird top hat. Dude,
2: don't call (laughs) Reinhardt that. Whoa, 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 I'm the one who pointed out that it was a young old Skull.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's a young old Skull, that's not Reinhardt. Reinhard can't. Reinhard can't grow that kind of facial hair.
2: That's actually pretty true. <laughs> yeah.
0: So. But <laughs> Skull's yeah. got that. has got like that carpet face thing going on, where, like, he you, when he grows a beard, you, like you can't see through it or nothing, like water beads off of it.
1: Well, he he he's also sponsored by Just for Men. So. Oof.
0: I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Because
1: VMs are sponsored by Just for Men.
0: Oh, so. <laughs> I, was, I was looking at my beard. I, I trimmed it up, and I was looking at it in the in the mirror, and it's it's getting pretty pretty white. No, yeah, that happens. I started getting I started getting that early though. Yeah, me least, too. Yeah, so. but at least I still have all my hair, which is nice.
2: So you'll be the real Saint Nicholas by uh, next Christmas, is what you are saying.
0: No, my hair's not going white. My hair is doing like black and silver. It's pretty cool, actually.
2: Are uh, you getting the uh, the Clooney effect? Yes, if Clooney were a man.
0: If I mean, yeah, whatever, whatever that hair color thing that that one's got going on, that's what's going on with mine.
2: I'd say you can call that distinguished.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, distinguished. That's 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 what we that's the man cope for <laughs> aging. Then, yeah. distinguishment.
0: That's right. It's not a cope. What are you talking about? Like guys have a much longer shelf life than women.
2: Yeah, that that is true.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, I jokingly have said like, you know, compared women's shelf lives to like avocados. (laughs) Once you cut them. Like, you know how you open you know, you cut an avocado, you better eat it by like three o'clock. Otherwise, you know, that's the end of it. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's like women.
2: Well, I mean without the without the pre flood atmosphere, our right? days are numbered, so
0: Right, exactly.
2: <laughs> You've exactly. really got the brunt of it. <laughs> <laughs> started looking like a Florida mom after Seth was born.
0: Ouch. Starting looking like the gator handbags they carry. <clears throat> oh man. Florida uh, the, the the Florida mom that has tanned her entire life. Oof.
1: I knew a couple of those who moved to Texas and the leathery skin is so bizarre. Yeah. It is a real
2: phenomenon too. It's not like a rare thing. I'm like, you're 50. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Look like you're 150. (laughs) But uh, my buddy's mom, when I was growing up, she would spend the entire summer in a lawn chair and using like, I don't know, frying oil or something canola oil to cook her skin. And she was always like, I mean, I can't imagine what she looks like now, but
2: that was always my mom, but she never, she never uh, like ruined her skin. Her skin is actually pretty decent. Hmm. I guess that's just the med gang for you.
0: There you go. Must be anyway. Well, they got the whole gang here tonight for the first time this season, right? Yeah.
2: Only missing skull.
1: Well, I went. I was on an excursion.
0: Yes, you were on an excursion, and you're back. And then Reinhardt was on an excursion, and he's back. And yeah, now we're all here. We were stalked by a Bigfoot. You said that, and I actually, I mean, based on where you were, I uh, it's highly probable. Yeah, absolutely.
1: You know, we were in the uh, state of Jefferson. And it was uh, pretty amazing. We, we were the only two in the forest. The chupacabras were back at the pen. And on our way out of visiting the uh, nature area where we were at, I, I really I can't even tell you how amazing it is, the utter silence of just being completely alone in a forest like that. When it, when the snow is packed into ice, like about two feet off the ground there, there's no technology for miles and miles and miles. Like when you just sit still the utter silence, there's nothing like it, especially if you grew up in the city like I did. So on our way out, we're just, you're having to walk very carefully because you're literally just sort of trying to stop yourself from sliding on a glacier. (laughs) There's no, you know, it's not, it's not really very walkable snow and about 30 yards just out of sight along the, um, along the tree line. I heard something keeping pace with us and it, it's very unlikely it was a cat.
0: Because right. And like I, I told you earlier when you first told me that there's absolutely no way it was a cat because you heard it. Right. Yeah. So that being said, something keeping pace with you and that you could hear. I mean, I don't even think you'd hear a wolf. I don't think.
2: you Well, and if you several. did, you would hear probably multiple. Right.
0: So a person... Or Sasquatch. It's completely I'm thinking possible. Sasquatch. I, I'm going Sasquatch with this.
2: Yeah, I would go with it.
0: State of Jefferson. Um Yeah.
1: It was dude, it was it was it it was exhilarating, like the the feeling you get. Now the person I was with in retrospect, I found out was utterly terrified once I pointed out what was occurring.
0: Oh, <laughs> well, I bet! I bet. Uh, well,
1: yeah. uh, we did. I mean, we spent about two hours listening to David Pallady's. Uh, oh, nice!
2: Uh, missing four one one on the way there.
1: Not helpful.
2: No, <laughs> no, that's exactly what you want to listen to when you're going into the forest. Well, Come on. it
1: was, it was awesome. It was. I mean, we listened to it while we were walking, and and uh, he's he's a, he's got a very, um, he's got a very relaxing, cool way of telling stories. Sure, other people's stories,
0: you know. Sure, um, and then he starts talking I, about Bigfoot.
1: I well, I found out later that that, um, well, not not while it was happening, right? But later on.
2: Um, I, I found out that that was a subject and it was pretty cool, man. Pretty cool. Yeah. We need to do, uh, an update on some of politest work over the last couple of years. I know his son died recently, so he, he kind of took some time off. Um, but he, I know he was making some awesome strides in like 2019, 2020 and right. he's doing, still doing really good work.
0: Right. Well, his last book, the uh, last one I remember was the book on the hunters. We did, we did an episode on that. Yes. Yeah.
1: Well, so the, um, the person I was with told me that the abducted people are always good people and are either hunters like elk hunters or, or big game hunters, or they are people who are very yoked in Christ. And, you know, so like, uh, we were basically two walking targets for for abduction, <laughs> and i am like, oh, I guess I should be slightly disconcerted by this.
2: I mean, at the very least, you weren't you weren't hunters and you weren't uh, kids with families playing hide and seek, so yeah, that at least yeah. <clears throat> was a boon for you. Yeah. Oh shoot! Since the hunters book, he's come out with four. Really? Yeah. Okay. Every year. Since twenty, well, last one he did was twenty twenty.
0: Okay. Well, then his son died, and that's yeah,
2: yeah. Off the grid, law, Canada, and Montana. Hmm.
0: Gonna have to check those out. Those are yeah. interesting. Montana, yeah, I've been
2: Canada, David Politus.
0: Yeah. Hmm. But yeah, he does. He does a lot of work on Bigfoot too, not just the the missing four one one.
2: Oh yeah. Well, he always leaves open the possibility for you know, Bigfoot is is obvious. That's one that you know he he's said many times he can't write off. Um, but he leaves the possibility open for like the supernatural or at least the things that we don't understand, which I've always appreciated.
0: Right. Well, the thing that he does is he gives you nothing. He gives you like yeah. he gives you like n- no explanation whatsoever. He leaves it up to you entirely.
2: Which is great. Exactly. That way... He's not trying to, like, make an agenda or something.
0: Right, and he's got no agenda other than telling you the stories. Freaking, yeah, so out, freaking out all the people you go hiking with. So.
1: so one of the books I just got around the Christmas season is called uh, The Nephilim in Ohio. Oh, nice. Uh, Fall Valley, Ohio. And most of the book are uh, transcribed articles from different newspapers all around the country that explain archaeological finds of giants.
2: Yeah. Uh you need to send me a picture of the cover of that book.
1: Yeah. So I was gonna be reading some of these for upcoming Necronormicons. Some of wow. the articles. Yeah, the so some I I got through about half the book on the plane. It's just it's simply amazing that so many people found these large bones and these different mounds, et cetera, all over the country while, you know, uh, filling in the blanks of civilization here, you know, whatever, whatever occurred in the late 1800s right. and the early 1900s in this continent-wide strip mall, you yeah, know, the, these articles happened, so... This person went through and man did the did the painstaking work of transcribing all these and putting them into a book. Hmm.
2: That's awesome. Do you know if it mentions anything about the uh, the Great Serpent Mound?
1: You mean the one mound we haven't
2: been able to dig in?
1: Yeah, (laughs) the one nobody's allowed to touch. Yeah. Uh,
0: uh, Well, that's because you don't. We don't. It's out of respect for the Native Americans, guys. Respect.
1: Well, they didn't have any problem disrespecting the rest of these Native Americans. Hey,
0: hey, yeah. whoa, hey, these ones were special. Yeah, yeah.
1: But but hearing stories about skulls that completely uh, that can completely fit over another person's head is pretty
2: amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: you could wear it like a helmet. That's a pretty big ass skull.
2: These skulls are found, and the uh, the mounds that are found mimic things that are uh, exactly over in the Near East, too. And, you know, Russia and Europe. um, Absolutely astounding that it appears that these cultures, these related cultures, just gone and we're not allowed to touch any of these sites.
0: Related. Come on now.
2: Related. related. You don't know what
0: you're talking about. It's been debunked.
2: The
1: strange Phoenician like carvings on Mm -hmm. some of the... uh, (laughs) So some of the weaponry that they've been uh, buried with.
0: Yeah, I got nothing on that one. Right. <laughs> because
1: it was because the technology was so abundant. Sure. You know, I mean, you could just you you could afford to bury the dead with everything
2: that they used in life.
0: Yeah.
2: Well, yeah, and all the serfs were like starving and eating their kids and everything.
0: Well, that's what I mean. You know, that's what you did when a guy died, you buried him with his sword and all of his things, right? All his stuff. Yeah. And
2: all you would it. just hope and pray that, you know, the curse that you uh that you put on a, a wall right above the <clears throat> right above the coffin would uh just deter any grave robbers. They would they would wait an appropriate amount of time though.
1: So interestingly right. enough, a lot of the a lot of the mound builders from around the Mississippi River had a tendency to plant very large trees on top of the mound, so the roots of the of those trees would be encircling different parts of the skeleton that they would find. Mm-hmm. I I'm just I can't imagine what kind of a badass uh, doom metal album cover it would have looked like to, uh, you know, <laughs> to have oak roots going through the skull of a giant holding a mammoth mammoth tusk sword I mean
2: come on <laughs> well, there was a uh, I mean if you want metal there was in Sardinia uh, an island in the Mediterranean and they found giants all over that island but they found a, uh, a tomb that was under a hill and you kind of had to crawl through to get to it to get into like the antechamber and the actual burial site But they found a tomb with a massive throne and table and had a couple other chairs that were just kind of set around. They were broken, buried. But it was a massive chair, like, bigger than any actual, like, six-foot human would actually require. Um, I mean, way, way more than just, like, flexing uh, flexing wealth. And there was actually a skeleton that was, I want to say, 12 or 14 feet tall in that chair
0: hmm like there's a lot of there's a lot of giant stuff from sardinia
2: yes oh yeah Yeah. oh yeah there's a lot of weird tombs all over that Mm -hmm. island well and
1: they found there was
2: this phenomenon where they would actually find hands from these giant skeletons sticking up out of the ground i mean after after like the rainy season out there they would just find it the dirt the dirt and the mud would wash away and you just see a hand sticking out of the ground and people there just call it normal
0: just a hand, never a foot.
2: Yeah. And they they just say, Yep, those are our ancestors. We're we're people of the giants.
0: Yeah, but like will they like dig the rest of them out, or is there anything was it just a hand or like you
2: know, no, they would they would find usually like full skeletons or most. Okay, okay. And they would dig them out.
0: Right. Um was it would it you know, be like point possibly they were enveloped by some sort of liquefaction event?
2: I don't know about that. It's hard to tell.
0: I mean, were they buried most, and they? There's a hand sticking out that like kind of makes it seem like they were like what outstretched. The hand was outstretched. Most
2: of them were buried with, uh, were buried within dolmens, mm. so like stone circles. Okay. Um, so they're, wa- after- they're waving to the future.
0: That's what I'm saying. Like, don't they bury them with their arms at their sides or folded across their chest or?
2: Sure, but do remember that bodies can't move when they're buried in soil. After a time. it Depending on when okay, bodies the bodies were actually buried.
0: Right, but the whole premise is that they find hands. Implying that they're... You know, they found multiple hands. And...
2: Well, and a burial practice also was to bury... So a lot of the times you would bury the hands above the head. Sometimes in certain cultures, you could bury the hands in multiple positions. Okay. Um, Especially a lot of times they were buried in fetal positions almost like with their knees up, um, hands up, not always hands down to their sides, like straight as a board.
0: All right. All right. So it seems kind of like they find a hand. That's their ancestor.
2: it is odd, that there are a lot of them buried there. So.
0: Yeah, I mean, I could see like finding like you know washing away, and you find like a skull or a shoulder bone or like a, you know like a clavicle or, but a hand like a, to continually like, to find hands is like the theme. Just seems odd. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. All right. Anyway. So, man, how do we get to Sardinia? Giants. Giants. Dolmens. Yeah. Ohio we in Ohio. Somebody brought up, speaking of Ohio and Giants, somebody brought up the Giant of Kandahar the other day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that always comes up.
1: Is he making the rounds again?
0: Uh, no, somebody just mentioned something about the redheaded, um, six-fingered Giant that was brought to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base.
2: Yeah, every now and then, though, people will bring it up and be like, have you guys heard of this?
0: yes yes, yes yes
2: it is one of the originals <laughs> that's right it's a did classic B-
1: did biden accidentally leave him in afghanistan too no,
2: no it would have been john Kerry at that point
0: yeah it would have been but i get what he's trying to do yeah i get the joke With um the taliban yes the taliban that's our right. our friends the taliban
1: and al-qaeda right yes the base
2: taliban
0: Based. Based.
2: We're always leaving the ones we love behind. Oh, God. This is sounding like a bad South Park impersonation.
0: Yeah, this is really... I'm going to have to ask you to stop now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, like, let's, let's just get into the content then. How about that? Let's do it. All right. So, um... I believe... Grognac first approached us with this topic. Am I correct in assuming this? Or was it something that was brought up in the chat? No, it was Grognak. Okay. So there's a book called The Iron Republic. And there's another book called The Smoky God. They're both very short. Um, and they both pertain to voyages into the Earth at the Poles. Now, you guys remember a long time ago, we did, uh, neither of you guys were here for this, but do you remember the series we did with Jan Lomprecht, the Hollow Earth series?
2: Very much so. That was one of my absolute favorite series and of episodes.
0: We never got to finish, really. I'd love to have him back on, but I think he might be really busy over there in South Africa. Um, but the Hollow Earth theory is kind of what gave rise to the the paranormies theory, the Layer Cake Earth theory, or Lasagna Earth. Because it's both flat and hollow. Right. But, um, yeah, so, Iron Republic and uh, Smoky God. Let's do
2: it. And remember, too, Iron Republic is, actually, it's not quite inside the Earth.
0: Right, it's extraterrestrial. As in right. extra territory.
2: Yes. Outside of our map.
0: Right. Still within the firmament though.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I mentioned that quite a few times. So, um I don't know. We wanna start with uh which one? Smokey God or Iron Republic?
2: Let's start with Iron Republic.
0: All right. Let's start with Iron Republic. So this book was written. Uh, is this correct 19 it's a collection of articles from 1902 good lord
1: the
2: reform the reform era yes <laughs> yeah, it was a uh it was a pulp fiction publication so it would a uh, chapter a week or you know every couple of weeks or so or a few days would be published um as they go they were like penny fiction basically for the common man using air quotes around all that
1: really wondering how many ads uh, for the bull moose party there was in between some of these pages.
0: Yeah. So this would have been, no, this would have been a separate publication or this would have been in, this was in a magazine or something, right?
2: Florida so uh, magazine. magazine. So
0: this is, so this is from Florida magazine. Okay. And these are just notes. Okay. These are just the notes. Where's the, where's the, I have the PDF yeah so i i read like a lot of it and then i skimmed the rest of it um there was a lot of stuff that i don't think had a lot to do with like you know the, the hollow earth and that kind of stuff. There there's a lot of like uh, love love story and uh <laughs> I was like sorry. i don't know yeah. man like the like the Like, how much much he liked all the stuff that was there. Let's talk about... All right, let's talk about... The first part was very political, right? He talked about... He bragged about himself there a little bit. Um, And he talked about how how famous his father was and that he was famous because of that. And... um, For some reason... Hold on. I'm conflating the two books, I think. No, I'm not.
2: So, a little... A little bit, but Barrington, so the, the author's name is J.E. Barrington. And yes. to my knowledge, we weren't able to find really anything.
0: Yeah, he may or may not have actually really existed, the Barrington guy. Yeah. A, lot
2: of, he, pen, a lot of pen names
1: were flying about.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: people were writing Anon a
0: lot back right. then. So he was, he, was, he was J. Edward Barrington, attorney and counselor at law, but he was known as Ned Barrington. So
2: Yeah, and he was fairly uh fairly well known lawyer, kind of um I wouldn't say quite a womanizer, but definitely a very popular guy. Um took part in some of the political turmoil of the turn of the century, according to Fish and narrative, of course. Um, but was the victim of uh basically just political intrigue scandals. Um, he was kind of humiliated in political circles when he attempted to run for office and that took his popular lifestyle and kind of show like flushed it down the toilet.
0: Right. He, he had like one political campaign is first and last disastrous political campaign. That's terrible. That sucks. But um, he decided to, Turn everything he had into gold, and uh, he bought a boat, and decided to go on a three-year cruise to the Arctic regions,
1: the Antarctic regions. Well,
0: it's in the book. He says the Arctic regions, and uh, but ah, uh. yeah, but he decided. Well, he went south, so that's the Antarctic region, which so we know that. But I don't know. it's just like a lot. a lot of a lot of like irrelevant stuff to the to the talk but he they they end up going through a really really bad storm um and then through like a channel in an ice wall oh no there's an ice wall (laughs) yes they discover the ice wall and they sail along the ice wall for three months three months is it three months or seven months
2: it's a long time. No, it's a, it's about it's, three months until they hit a certain point.
0: Okay, okay. Yes, they they hit. So they're at um, Mount Erebus. Now, what island is Mount Erebus supposed to be on? Mount Erebus. Erebus. Is it Erebus. <laughs> I don't know Erebus. Erebus. Yeah. Thank
1: you, pronunciation expert.
0: Yeah, it's. I like how I like how he's always like condescending with it too, like, and a lot of times he's wrong. But that's
2: okay. It's Erebus. <laughs> it's, it's
1: not
0: Jeez. that hard. <laughs> Mount I, I'm gonna
1: start saying
2: Erebus. Yeah. Like who's got gonna stop me? You know?
0: Mm. So, so anyways, Mount
2: Erebus is located on Ross Island.
0: Ross Island. Um, okay.
2: Yeah. Near Victoria Island, um, which is in McMurdo Sound, so near McMurdo Base. Um it's also the southernmost well quote southernmost active volcano. McMurder.
0: Right, so they they're going past the volcano and along the ice wall. Uh, been a while. They went past Christmas. Um, oh, they stopped and climbed Mount Erebus. Mm. Um, why not? Yeah, why not? Right.
1: Right, been on the boat for a long time right. stretch your legs
0: right get out and stretch your legs climb a volcano check it out why not? um so they get back in and they end up they end up uh really there's the bad storm and the really bad storm and due to providence he he um he gives a lot of credit to providence <laughs> that he ended up where he was um And so they went through a, I guess a passage through the ice wall.
2: Yeah. So one thing here that I want to mention is, uh, Barrington is pretty open about the idea of, uh, ball earth theory versus, um, basically anything else, um, ball earth versus flat earth. Mm -hmm. He mentions here that the crew was fully imbued that the earth with the idea that the earth was a sphere and he himself says that, you know, they don't know, and that he's pretty sure that...
0: And I, uh, thought he mentioned the, I thought he mentioned the flat plane of the Earth a couple times.
2: He did, yeah. yeah. He says that, you know, science is pretty much in its infancy when it comes to uh, the, the size and shape of the realm. Um, paraphrasing. But... Uh yeah, so he's saying to the crew essentially, look, if if this is the layout here, this must be like a polar sea that we're looking at. And they're looking at this break in the ice wall. Mm-hmm. Um that's you know, the couple hundred yards wide, and they want to go in and see and see what's there, or he does, but the crew doesn't really. Um but he finally convinces them.
1: Well it's this boat, right?
2: Well, it is his boat, but he's not a sailor by trade. They don't really want to go too close to the ice. They don't want to get caught.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he's got to navigate his his Captain Brent buddy there. He's uh, a 20-year skipper. So he knows what he's doing, and um, Barrington has no idea, but he's just a guy who owns the boat.
2: He's like a lawyer. I mean, if you look at page three of the picture of Captain Brent, I would trust a guy with that beard. Sure. I mean, on a boat, yeah. Yeah. I mean,
0: Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, yes. So they ended up, they ended up going through this passage in the ice wall. And, um, they got lucky, I guess, according, you know, the improvidence with, was furthering his apparently wild purpose. For when he had stopped or dropped the ship within a few hundred feet of the opening, he ordered the helm down to bring her about. The wind failed. Oh, no. We have no wind. So now they're at like, the mercy of the ocean and they got sucked into a current and they end up going through the passage in the ice wall. And, uh, when they got out, they were, they had no idea where they were basically, (laughs) Um, they're in an inland sea. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, he didn't know where he didn't know if, yeah, he didn't know if he had gotten into some sort of a, like you said, like an inland sea or, or any, or what? So, um, the
1: whole time the whole time you were describing that I was picturing the intro from Land of the Lost
0: pretty much yeah going over there going over the waterfall um but one thing he did say he saw a lot of was the aurora australis which is purple and orange by the way it's like uh the aurora borealis is green and yellow mostly i believe and, and blues yeah and blues yeah but a lot of greens and but at the south the aurora australis is purple and orange so
2: that's got to be so freaking amazing
0: yeah so he said it was it was never really dark because of the ice um and the aurora australis so it's pretty rad yeah so basically they he's like all right so we're stuck in this little this this sea we're gonna circumnavigate it and we'll go back around and okay cool well look there's mount erebus again so it's like, you know, look, kids, Parliament, Big Ben. <laughs> um, I, you know, he. Well, that's what he thought he would see. But um,
1: was that a European vacation reference? Yes, it was. Nice. Okay. Uh,
0: Is it shortly after he crossed the ice barriers? His the uh, the needle of the compass became erratic. And that was pretty much it for the compass. Um, every day it deflected a little more and more until it actually reversed itself. So, uh, compass was pretty much useless and they sailed using constellations and until they came up to, uh, what was it? A boat came up on them. Yeah.
2: Well, that, that comes a little bit later, but they, they traveled in this, this quote inland sea for about seven months,
0: two months total. Is it se- I thought it was the whole trip was seven months.
2: No, it was that whole time from when they had uh, made it through the passage up right,
0: okay, until so they, make,
2: uh, they make landfall.
0: For weeks uh, after we passed the Barrington Strait, as I have been egotistical enough to christen it. <laughs> uh, except with no less ice. Seven months? Hang on. I think seven months two months later we encountered driftwood and not long afterwards sea fowls appeared in numerous every day they first appeared on the starboard side and yes so two months they were sailing around yeah like I said they thought they were going to come across Mount Erebus again but they didn't two months later seabirds and land and a boat and a very strange boat too um they, the, the description of that ship is very very strange
2: yeah,
1: um, so like a motorized that, like a motorized boat of some kind because it was going 50 miles an hour according well, to him.
0: Right, it was going 50 miles an hour, but also like it had a cylindrical hull and it had cone-shaped screws on each end, so it like kind of pulled and pushed itself through. Yeah, water. so
2: I'm actually going to put this in the uh, the Skype here. He the way he describes it almo- is almost like an American whaleback ship, which is a type of cargo ship. Um, I just mm. put it on there. It kind of it looks like a a bit of a submarine, but with more of a top deck. So you've got uh, two superstructures.
1: Right. What's a poop deck?
0: The... I don't know. It's part of the ship. The aft Cause deck,
1: s- yeah, because he said at some point uh, that he was on the poop.
2: Well, it's so it's basically a part of the deck that's built over a cabin on like the aft part of a ship.
1: Right. Oh, okay. But aft, specifically,
2: yeah. like the um, it's like the the aft superstructure part of the ship. Okay. So whatever is sticking, the structure that's on top of the actual hull and the main deck. Okay.
0: Right. So the the aft end of the ship, basically. Yeah, basically, yeah. yeah. The top po- part. The,
2: poop, the top part. Anyways. It. Yeah,
0: there you go. So anyway, so then they... Yeah, so they run into the people, and he tells... Well, the people, on the captain on the ship, he tells the captain on the ship that they were... Uh, w- who speaks perfect English, by the way. Although with a peculiar accent.
1: Oh, so all this very... Very, very convenient when mm-hmm. the the foreigners speak your language perfectly,
0: right? Um, so there's
2: a reason for that,
0: right? He was told in the narrative, right? He was told that the ship was the Wanderer of New York, United States of America, and the captain dropped, or the pilot, excuse me, dropped his jaw. I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like, what do you mean from the United States of America? And he said, "What land is this? It's the Iron Republic, sir." So they're in the Iron Republic. And here we are. Um, everybody seemed to be amazed that the ship was from the United States. But they knew of the United States.
2: Yeah, so they make, they make landfall here. And, that, and all that we can explain here in a, in a minute. But the, the immediate description of the city, like they, they actually see this city before they ever make contact with another boat or with the, with the pilot of that boat. Um, When they finally make it out of like the storms and everything they're dealing with uh, at night, they come upon this coastline where the city is at. And they notice that everything is lit electrically, everything. It's an electric city, um, but there's no noise. Everything is quiet.
1: Which is uncanny to them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. most the, the, the cities have flattering or chattering at all, you
2: know, no, there's no smokestacks, no, uh, no machinery, anything going. Uh, and so they find it very odd, very eerie. Hmm. Um, but yeah, when they, when they pull up immediately, what they notice is, you know, it's a very, it seems to be a very important Harbor type city. There's boats much like the one that came up to them and, and other types of ships, you know, coming in and out. Um, there is a hustle and bustle typically around around the docks throughout the day um and everybody looks pretty you know recognizable to them, pretty similar as far as their appearance like physical appearance goes
0: right I mean they go so far as to they're to call themselves their countrymen later on
2: right so um and do we want to explain why that is
0: right well because the Iron Republic was founded by ships that were lost looking for for America.
2: Yeah, uh, sixteen ninety eight was given. Uh, they mm. were they were heading over to the colonies, and yeah, they were they were cast adrift and um, somehow found the same Strait, the quote Barrington Strait, and uh, and ended up in this land. And right. the Iron Republic is just the latest iteration of that civilization.
0: Right, they had gone through a few before.
2: Yeah, yeah. Cause we're talking two hundred years at this point. Yeah, mm-hmm. almost two hundred five.
1: Very advanced. It sounds like a, an emissions-neutral, uh, very sustainable, green developed country.
0: Right, U- utilizing were um, they really utilizing free electricity like from the ether?
2: Something like that. They had to have. Yeah, free electricity. He notes that there are no horses anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, the streets are all like perfectly clean. No horse-drawn carriages. He says, horseless vehicles of every description, from large uh, lightest bicycles to large covered vans, all with rubber tires, um, moving swiftly and without noise.
0: Yeah, and he said that the, the roads were like hallways. They were so clean. There was no, I guess... um I don't know, how come we can't keep our streets that clean, then? We have rubber <laughs> tires. <laughs> we don't have horses.
2: Well, you see, it's because of immigration. It's ah. because of the Immigration ah. Act of 1965. Has to be. All and, went downhill from there.
0: Has to be. And, and Jews. And Jews. Uh, well, yeah. So, all right. So then it goes into the whole, like, he 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 goes to have dinner. He meets up with, well, he's with the, uh, I guess it's the president, Right.
2: Well, it was with a uh, a famous professor uh, who actually also came from America. Um, in 30, 30 c- years prior. Yeah. it uh, Came around the uh, time of the Civil War raging, huh. like smack in the middle. And although they don't have very many Americans that have made their way to like the established republic, they've had, I think, four instances. Um, and he was the most recent. So they kind of set him up with, with his countrymen to show him around and stay with him.
0: Mm, okay, well, I thought it was the. He was with like somebody who was very important. He carried his own bags, though, and like wasn't that the president? Or like the
2: president other? is is there? He does meet him, and okay, yeah, okay. He, the president is chosen from among the people uh, in this society. He's right. I, I want to say the, he's amazing. I think the
0: the first important person he's taken to is the director of navigation. Yeah, right. Because they have they have one of those
2: and the uh his countryman has become the head of the college of uh the naval college.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. That so the director of navigation would probably be like the secretary of the navy. I would say.
2: Yeah, something like that. But less in a wartime fashion and more like right, trade. Right, they don't seem commerce. They
0: don't, Yeah, but they don't seem to have a lot. Well, they even said they didn't do maritime commerce.
2: No, but I'm talking just uh, transportation things mm-hmm. in between their lands. Ah, okay, is what it would seem to be because they also don't seem to have standing a standing military, a standing navy.
0: Mm-hmm. One uh, thing they do have, though, is a cool monorail system. But tubes, tubes. Yes, well, not just tubes, but they have are on rails too. They're like, they're all stacked. I'd like to see that. Like an
2: yeah, and apparently they went so fast. Uh, the president made a 760 mile journey to the city from the capital uh, in four hours and ten minutes.
0: Yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty quick. Um, one of the things that I, I thought was cool, besides that, besides the the uh, the monorail, was that all the um, everything's done in paper, and then the paper's all recycled. Like there's there's a lot of like green stuff going on here.
1: Yeah, chemically treated paper.
0: Chemically treated paper, to, yes, to, to be reused over and over and over again.
1: Um, I mean, so all, all, all the news and everything are is broadcast,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and if you want a copy of the broadcast, all you have to do is request it, uh, and you'll get a physical form. But that, but they don't have, they don't automatically print newspapers and stuff like that but but if they're but everything is everything is kept in a recording of some sort but uh, including daily music which plays
2: over the over the airwaves right and people have personal access in their homes uh in their homes or on the streets to hear the news to hear music uh they do have Essentially, if anybody's been on a military base, you know how they play uh, colors and taps <clears throat> in the morning and evening. they got the speakers all around the place. They have those all around the city, um, different cities, and they'll play music throughout the day. Um, this concept of free information, free sound. Um, we even see like uh, almost like, uh, what's the word, kinetoscope television that they use as well.
0: right and then they also they also um they also have the orchestra the harmonium which is like i guess um you can get like on demand right all this stuff is like on demand you can get like whatever music you want i guess the um i'm kind of skipping around a little bit but when he when he meets the he meets the most beautiful woman in the world who has brown hair and brown eyes by the way um interestingly enough gang <laughs> <laughs> right um yeah we're really skipping around but I, I, like i said i guess i guess all that stuff is like on demand like 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 you said music or entertainment or whatever opera when
2: you mentioned and you mentioned the grand harmonium that's actually a building he um he notices that they are having an opening for this this grand harmonium this is like the the biggest and newest all, best way I can describe it is like an opera house or a symphony house um, seats 5,000 people. Um, this is where they have you know public gatherings the president's there to, to do the opening um, but they they have a focus on the arts here. They don't really have like a military focus nor a commerce focus. They don't really trade with the outside world. They focus inward inwardly on their culture and art. Um, and music seems to be probably one of the, if not the most important,
0: um, right? Because when he goes to, um, to the, it the professor's house? And he meets the daughter.
2: Yes. Yes. And the love story begins. And the love story
0: begins. the most beautiful. It's one the ever.
2: typical. It's the typical pulp fiction, penny fiction. You know, guy goes a guy goes to on an adventure to a completely new realm or place. He's got to fall in love with some girl that's there.
0: Right. Before that, hold on a second before that, let's talk about the money real quick. Um, so he brought about $50,000 in American coin gold coin. And he's like, Hey, you know what? Why don't, if I'm going to be here for a while, and until I can get to you know, like to uh, I can work and make some money, I'm gonna. I should probably convert some of this into uh, Iron Republic dollars or whatever it is they have there. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go exchange some of that. He's like, so why don't Dalium, we?
1: Dalium, I think, is what they what they call the dams. Dams. Yeah. It's all spelled... the money. All the money is based off of increments of time.
0: Yes. So it's dam like carpe dam, you know? Yeah. Yes. So. Um, he had fifty thousand dollars worth of American gold, and when they calculated it out, what it would exchange to be in dams it was six hundred and sixty-six dollars. Hmm. That's that?
1: a very odd number to come up with.
0: Yeah, right in the middle of the book there. But uh, yeah, so apparently he's like, "What? Why is why what? There's no way." He's like, and they're like, "Well, dude, first of all, six hundred and sixty-six dollars is a lot of money here." Um, apparently, apparently like they don't need money. They don't use money for much. No. Right. Because. Yeah. Because so many
2: services are provided by the state. So many, um, like trade services are, you know, sold for what they're actually worth and traded.
0: Right. So.
1: So I, I, I'd like to make a comment about this book, the iron Republic. If I, if I can have just a moment. Iron Republic to me seemed like very thinly veiled, like reform era uh, propaganda for lack of a better term. Uh, it, it's just, it, there's a lot of economics uh, in there and, and the way the political structure and everything is, it's all, it's all uh, basically a referendum on how the United States ran itself and at the turn of the century. And, and basically the Iron Republic is this utopia version of what America should be.
0: Right. That's the whole right, – yeah. that's, that's kind of the point of this. Is it's like well, – it's America, but better.
1: Right. And a couple it, of, it, go ahead. Uh, it, the, the, the thing that was most striking is the arguments that occur between this character and, and some of the people that live there about, uh, about how they should be conducting themselves.
2: So before we get to those, because those are like really far ahead from where we're at. Um,
1: it starts with the money.
2: Yeah, it, it starts with the money. And one interesting thing here that they, that they show is that you need a seal. Every person has a seal that is given to them that marks them as a citizen of whichever level that they're at uh, in their political structure. And you can't... Uh, You can't exchange for money. You can't buy or sell or anything without that seal.
0: Hmm. Um, You can't do anything without the seal.
2: Yeah, kind of an interesting piece of information there. Six hundred sixty-six dollars.
0: Yeah, the seal. Need the
2: seal. Hmm. And he doesn't even get the six hundred sixty-six dollars. No, they take like twelve dollars more because of the alloy and the gold. Yeah,
0: so he only had six hundred fifty-four dollars. So he got he got (laughs) Jude. Yeah, even
2: he got Jude out of his mark of the beast.
0: Right. (laughs) right um,
2: um yeah uh, but to your point dog about this is definitely that kind of utopian almost almost socialist but not quite because of course the stigma uh, applied to socialism or mm-hmm. communism um well early american progressivism is
1: like uh, it, it it is basically just socialism
2: light right yeah well And this shows a lot for anybody who's familiar with, um, in terms of like modern media, uh, the Bioshock series. This calls immediately to mind for, at least me and Grognak, uh, we had the thought of this society is very much like the uh, society rapture that's created under the water uh, by a essentially socialist named Andrew Ryan. And that is what this society is. It's a utopian, um, Non military, non militaristic, very green, art focused socialist society. Uh, right. And that's it, reflected in the state's motto that he uh, notices. The state is made for the man, not the man for the state. Yes. Very, right.
0: Very profound. Very profound. Very there.
2: much like yeah. the, the by the sweat of your brow. And he even notes that there's a statue of the founders, a guy named Adam Holt. Um, mm. he's, he's raising up a, a hammer.
0: Oh, a hammer. Not a sickle, just a hammer. Um what was I going to say? There was something I was going to say and then you the uh, man. Um shoot. Oh, you said yes, it was more art art related and whatever. Yeah, cuz they mentioned um they mentioned, you know, American artists. You've only had one of these people. We have you know, we've made, we've had hundreds. Every, everybody's an artist. Everybody's a writer. Everybody's, everybody does like leisure activities, basically.
2: Well, and it's not even just for leisure. It's, it's their passion. It's, they make it their life's work. Right. And there's Where... specifically an argument against, you know, having, having so much leisure time um, on the part of, I think his name is Dr. Morris, is the, the American mm-hmm. uh, professor. Yeah, Dr. That he, Morris. That Barrington's staying with. Uh, but he he argues specifically against having all of this free leisure time because people aren't working in factories. He says that that gives them more time to focus on their passion, which should be their actual job in life
0: right, and that's not what what most people do most people work in factories or in cubicles
2: right well well this this
1: there was a very detailed argument against industrialization uh, mm-hmm. based on based on shoemaking. It, that, was a, that was in this book, and it basically, uh, why don't you guys produce a machine that can pump out fifty of these shoes a day instead of you know instead of having 50 people work on them? And that that, that gets into part of the uh, morality argument of the economics of the current United States at that time period. In which one person gets very rich from the use of the machines, and forty-nine other people are uh, do not benefit from it whatsoever. So the argument is is that everybody benefits from working.
0: Hmm. So yeah. pretty much and, anti-work, BTFO. Yeah, and then pretty this much.
1: guy, and then this guy went on to say, "Well." You know, if you if you industrialize some of these processes, they would have more free time in order to pursue some of these artistic endeavors. Which, mm-hmm. as we've as we've seen over the last 120 years, doesn't matter how much you modernize and industrialize a process, everybody's still working 40 hours a week, if right. not more.
0: Right, right. It's actually gotten worse. Yeah.
2: Um.
0: Uh, real yeah, quick. so a lot of this like...
2: book is is bogged down in political political yeah. arguing uh, before it makes a very very awkward shift, and I'm pretty sure there were a few penny chapters that were omitted or not found uh, before Possible. this was publicized. But there is a lot more technology that's mentioned. There is um, each of these, aside from the horseless carriages, you know, rubber rubber-tired vehicles, amazing mm-hmm. self-propelling
0: boats. Um, the train system. The train
2: system. Citizens also have their own flying machines,
0: right? And well, I wouldn't necessarily call them flying machines. They're more like their own personal kites.
2: I mean, sure, but they do—they do have mechanics, of course.
0: I mean, not really, though. They're—they're they're flown by, like the the muscles of the people themselves. Like that's right. They—they they so.
2: are devices that allow us or allow humans basically to utilize their muscular structure in a better way, similar to a bird Mm -hmm. that allows them uh, to glide through the air. It's described using various animals. Um, But nevertheless, people have them. People are flying through the sky and he's absolutely amazed seeing these while also on the bullet train.
0: Right. Where Um, he said it moves so smoothly and... And it was so, so fast that it, that it like freaked him out.
2: Right. Yeah. Well, at this point too, I mean, that you have the myth of uh, only about a hundred years ago before this, maybe, uh, maybe in the 1820s, uh, you had the myth that trains couldn't go faster than 25, 30 miles an hour because people thought that their insides were going to explode.
0: Oh, that's right. That, that weird, that weird wives tale about the trains.
2: Yeah, I never I never bought that to be honest, no. but hey, whatever.
0: I mean, um, I don't know how they would know they're too busy smashing them back then. Right. <laughs> we need to do an episode on that. That was like and yeah, we found all these really cool badass like steampunk literal steampunk machines. What are we going to do with them? I got an idea. Let's crash them into each other.
2: The original crash test dummies.
0: Right, but and and do it in front of an audience, you know, where people Got killed?
2: Oh. So it's like half public execution, half monster truck rally?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Johnny, which which band was worse, uh, Crash Test Dummies or Bare Naked Ladies?
0: Oh, my God. Both terrible. Um, wow, that's bad. Crash Test Dummies. Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: I really thought you were going to go with the Bare Naked Ladies.
0: Mm-mm. One
1: well, of their songs came on the other day, and I was what, like, was it "Whoa, was was <laughs> that's <is> so terrible!" <laughs> was it
0: the Chinese Chicken? Yes, yeah, it's the only one that I know.
1: But. Yeah, I, I I forgot all about it. it. It's just like large portions of the nineties that are just deeply embedded in parts of my brain that
0: mm-hmm.
1: I, you know, get reawakened by a bad song.
0: I saw them at an Earth Fair or Earth, excuse Earth Fair Earth Day concert. In Hartford, that's really gay. Yeah, it was Earth How Day. Unsustainable, right? It was. It was like ninety, five, six, seven, something like that. It was terrible. It was like bare naked ladies were the headliners.
1: I I said to myself the other day, I'm gonna feel really old when some of these one hit wonders from the '90s are being covered. Yeah, you
0: know, they but, already
1: are. Right, but. But some of these just aren't being
2: touched at all.
0: Thank God. Yeah. You know, they, they don't, most yeah what do you want? Somebody to like I, I don't need a cover of Snow's Informer. Okay.
2: It's enough that I already got a cover. No, what about, Steal what about, my sunshine. What by what, Lem.
0: Does it oh, cover? somebody covered that? Really? Yeah. Why? Wow. That song's terrible. What
2: about, what about Chumpa Wumba, that
1: song? Tub Thumping? <laughs> yeah, Tub Thumping. <laughs>
0: That song's terrible. Like the nineties had such terrible music for a lot of a lot of the nineties had terrible music.
1: Or Venga Boys, boom, boom, boom.
0: That's the second time you brought that up, and I'm still not listening to it. All right. So, so
2: Iron Republic, guess Iron so Republic, yes. Guess what else they had? They had electric ovens. Huh. And actually Grognak just pointed this out and I had no idea. Thank you very much, Grognak. The patent for the electric oven was 10 years before this ad, before this was published. So this is a brand new piece of equipment. Uh, just very odd that this seems to be like an advertisement for <laughs> the brand new electric oven.
0: Yeah, it does seem like it's a bit of an ad.
2: Um, yeah, electric oven. And going back to the sound when he meets, uh, what's her name? Uh, Helena. The, the professor's daughter, who, um, we noticed that they pretty much have their own little like Antiqua tech Alexa, and we, <laughs> we were talking earlier about music on demand.
0: Yeah, it's like they have they have like an Alexa or a Siri:
2: yeah, it's like a bell-shaped transmitter mm-hmm. uh, and she just she calls somebody and requests it. There's somebody sitting there at night. and just say, "Sure, play this." and they shows, actually play uh, it, it. it yeah it's not like it's a criddle, record the deep.
0: But, yeah no a band actually plays your song <laughs> or whatever well yeah
2: and everything is pre-recorded and it's saved mm mm-hmm. mhm you know i kind of half expect for them to uh to save everything on like electrified water like that episode of uh, was that metalocalypse back in like 2004 oh right. yes, it was <laughs> they
1: they were recording the new album in a sub
0: in a submarine underwater submarine. yeah yep to get yeah. the extreme depth. A- and of,
1: uh, yeah. the vocalist hated it at the end, so he dumped out all the water.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh was that Toki Wartooths over there just chugging it all.
0: <laughs> oh, my God, that show. It's a great that show. show. <laughs> That's a great show. So, <laughs> so in order for this whole society that they have there in the Iron Republic to work, everybody basically works... At their passion. I mean, well, yeah
2: everybody has a everybody has a trade, right. And the arts themselves, the study of the arts, is Art, a trade. Is in a trade in, in itself. itself,
0: right? But they don't have any factories, any manufacturing factories. Oh, no, I'm sorry, they have fact they have, they don't have manufacturing in clothing cloth. So everything is hand woven. Every piece of cloth in the Iron Republic is hand woven.
2: Well, yeah, it's to give everybody a job. Everybody, mm-hmm. you know, has has work that is properly consum—what's uh, um, the word? Not consummated, <laughs> compensated. Um, work that's properly compensated. Everybody has a job they can provide for their families. They can own a home and a little bit of land as they move up the, you know, the the citizen.
1: Uh, and it's provided for them by the Department of
2: Sustenance.
0: Right. That sounds very socially.
2: Was it sustenance or subsistence? Subsistence.
0: Subsistence. Yeah. It is subsistence.
2: Yeah. I thought yeah. that was a very interesting use of the term, because um, subsistence is is, you know, eating only like necessity, like bare necessity. Right, and that's so, what everything is it's like the way
0: the way everything is priced, the way they get paid, all the you know labor, um, like the president makes five dollars a day. A oh. senator makes four dollars a day.
1: One of the odd things that Barrington pointed out, I think he said about the different, hu- the the different decor in the different homes, is that there isn't bric-a-brac
2: everywhere. Yes, everything has a purpose, which yeah, everything... again speaks to their society of of you know nothing is waste. Mm-hmm. So so
1: it's a very artistic society, but nobody's making hummels.
2: No. Make it, make what?
1: Hummels or uh or you know, tchotchkes
2: or
0: knickknacks. Uh.
1: knick-knacks. Yeah, you got you don't have
0: a, Oh, don't he's have playing like off a, the term bric a brac
1: Well I everything has a purpose, so you don't have like somebody's mantle isn't covered with little figurines of nonsense.
2: Yes, there are no Funko Pop soy boys in the Iron Republic.
0: No. I guess I get what you're saying. Okay.
1: <laughs> but I guess that would also mean that there's no art on the walls, right?
2: No, there are no, there is
0: no art. because yeah, because they have artists.
2: Yes, there is art. They have a part of their massive collegiate structure. They do have an entire Academy of art, physical art. Um, and they have great murals. They have uh, – he specifically re- references one that's incredibly large and details the entire history from the colonists all the way up to mm-hmm. you know, the modern era or of that time. Um, and many art students are trying to copy different pieces. There's, he says there's got to be millions of dollars worth of artwork uh, that these people have created. Well, look, um, So it, they do have it, but it's meant to be admired by all, not shoved away in somebody's home as like a bragging rights – Project.
1: Well, if there's one thing Europeans, people of European descent, love to do, whether rich or poor, it's to make little things to put on shelves.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. So that's that's I, find,
1: I I find that very hard to believe. That even in the Iron Republic, nobody has well, whittled a little walrus or something or out of, something. A piece of wood and put it on their put right. it on their shelf.
0: Right. There's not a bunch of little teacups or something yes right
2: um probably one of the most astounding things out of this that i noticed was the alphabet the letters that are created that are generated whenever somebody wants a copy of the news you know it's printed out right they have uh, of course sound messages that they can send to people but they can also print them and send them just mm-hmm. like like a telegraph basically and their alphabet is not not ours. It's not Latin or Arabic.
0: No, it's this. it's a sound like alphabet. It's, right. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the thing is like they speak English, but they don't write English. And the thing is nobody writes. It's not that they write. It's the machine thing writes it.
2: Right. And when you make a sound, you know, it's the a particular wavelength will be the same every single time, right? You play the same frequency over and over. It's going to be exactly the same. So it takes that and translates it into a letter. And it's funny. Barrington actually refers to this written script as Kabbalistic.
0: Yes. C-A-B-A-L-I-S-T-I-C. Kabbalistic.
2: Very interesting, I thought. And just the concept itself uh, seems to be intriguing, but I couldn't find a whole lot uh, doing research on that.
0: Yeah. So uh, apparently, apparently the people outside of the ice wall are um, very much into political debate. They know a lot of, uh, you know, about scripture. Apparently Uh, there was, they talked about the divine allegory. Um, there's a lot of these people are very, they're very well healed there in the Iron Republic.
2: Well, they listen to original uh, musical pieces every morning that seems to have a calming or ameliorating effect.
0: Right, right. On them, so never played twice. This person who plays the music uh, never repeats a song. It's it's a, an improv every day, every morning and every evening. It's pretty cool. He's extremely talented, apparently. Right, that's right. Professor Hallam and his Aeolian harp.
2: That's who that is. Yes, he's an angel.
0: <laughs> right, apparently. Um, oh, we
2: didn't mention the uh, the flag of the Iron Republic either. Oh, uh, it's
0: blue with a white star.
2: Yes, blue with a single white star. Oh, good.
0: No, I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 who knows? Yeah. They didn't say. They didn't say how many points. I'm just being.
2: I would assume five Six. points.
0: I'm assuming six, but like, hey,
2: I'm gonna I'm gonna assume five.
0: Yeah, we'll, Just, we'll say it's five. Well, who yeah. knows? Who knows? It doesn't say.
1: So it's like the Somali flag.
2: I guess, but not oh, okay. like red, green, not not Rasta colors.
0: Oh. Okay.
2: Right. <laughs> no, there. I'm pretty sure there's no Rastafarianism here.
0: Right. And so, and the book kind of ends really abruptly too.
2: Yeah. It, 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 goes from actually probably one of the last things that uh, of interest that we want to mention about this is that Barrington goes off on his own and comes in contact with a crazy person on the street or mm-hmm. so-called crazy person. Um, your typical like religious nut job on the side of the road happens to be part of a group called the Zionists. Oh that's right yeah uh, this guy is doing the conspiracy like the Alex Jones conspiracy bit yelling at people on the streets telling them you know the government's lying to them and uh, uh, telling them that they need to get right with God that he is a prophet of the Lord um, and Barrington just takes interest the guy you know kind of accosts him and he he starts talking to him asking him what he believes and what he's what he's talking about and it's quite interesting this zionist mentions that uh, because they're going back and forth about scripture and he's mentioning that you know barrington doesn't know anything Uh, he believes that you know the the bible is true whereas this zionist says that it's allegory why is it allegory? Well, because none of the places mentioned in the Bible, Greece, Jerusalem, Rome, none of these places actually exist. Mm. And the government's keeping it from us. And he's saying, well, because they don't exist within their, their sphere, right? They don't exist outside or inside of this Iron Republic land. Uh, I thought that was interesting. Kind of mimics what we talk about when we're, when we're looking the other side. You know, they're on one side of the fence and we are on the other, uh, looking at lands like Hyperborea or Agartha. Right. um, Things that are outside of our sphere of academia.
0: Yeah, I I mean... Go ahead.
1: I just think that, I mean... As, as neat as the idea is that there might be something beyond the ice wall and stuff, it just seems like, it, it seems like a very interesting, at the time, uh, literary device to uh, put a country that doesn't really exist, that has all the benefits of uh, a reformed society that this guy envisioned to express in his literary form.
2: Well, yeah, and this idea was very popular. You've got the novels of Jules Verne. You've got uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs, who not only wrote Tarzan but uh, John Carter. Um, you have well the Smoky God. Mm-hmm. Well, well, Sir Thomas More's Utopia takes
1: place literally on an island where everything right.
2: runs perfectly. Right. So this concept of of a man going on a an adventure, ending up in this land totally shut off from the outside world, and it happens to either be a utopia or a gilded utopia where things are very dark, you know, underneath the surface. Um, that that was always a very popular thing. Very popular and, and, literary concept in the late eighteen hundreds. Of course, it'd be late eighteen hundreds. Um, right.
0: Well, that's that's what I'm saying. And, All these books, it's always. The middle to late 1800s, turn of the century,
2: uh, the coming yeah. race. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, the oh, the coming
0: race, over yeah. Litton. Right.
1: In Marvel, in Marvel comics, they have in Antarctica, they have a place called the Savage Land, where all where dinosaur shit still happens. Right. Yeah.
0: Very yeah, similar but, to
2: um, uh, Burrows. What's the uh, Palucidar or Palucidar? I don't know. Uh, same thing, but it's more of like an inner Earth Antarctica situation. Yeah,
1: That's. I think that's how Savage Land is, too. It's encapsulated. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's Land of the Lost style.
2: So why do we think th- uh, that is that these concepts became so popular? Do we think that it was just a natural progression of you know, fiction? Because fiction to this point was very different than, let's say, the sci-fi and fantasy of the last 100, 120 years. Fiction. Well, Mythology was very rooted in traditional belief and history.
0: Right. And that's, well, that's the thing is fantasy and and that kind of fiction wasn't even really a thing. Right. Until this time and later. Um, Speaking of time, we have gone way into the break time. We're like 15 minutes into the break. You guys want to stop and take a...
1: I got a I got a break song,
0: the one you put in the chat. Yeah. All right. I didn't like it. I'm just letting you know I didn't like it. Oh. There's look. There's a lot of a lot of that music that I think that a lot of people like, and some people don't. There's a lot of stuff I listen to that some people don't like, and it's fine. I don't have to like every break song.
1: Yeah, all that called Substrata.
0: Yes. Play Kid Rock. I was gonna, yeah, we're not gonna play the Kid Rock.
1: Like, never playing Kid <laughs> Rock. We're never
0: playing Kid Rock.
1: <laughs> you can play some Migwa. I will go pl- away. Br- go
2: away, Brandon.
0: Yes, go some Mogwai? What?
2: <laughs> no, Migwa. Migwa. Polish a- black metal.
0: Oh, okay. I don't know. About, I don't. I don't know about that. But I tell you one thing. I like this song a lot better than I like any of Kid Rock stuff, Dogbot. So, thank you. Yeah. So, a Substack.
1: Substrata.
0: Substrata. I don't know where I got Substack from. Substrata. And we'll be back. everybody we're back this is still the paranormies i am still johnny monoxide with dogbot reinhardt and grognak we were finishing up the iron republic we're pretty close we have to be
2: yeah there's, there's not much else i think we ended it or i ended the last hour just by asking about uh about these fictions and their real origins from the fantasy and or the the mythology and tradition of old, uh, becoming this new fantasy sci-fi realm that seemed to take hold in the eighteen, you know, late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds. Um, but I don't think there's much else that we can really pull apart. There's not a whole lot in the book. It's only about eighty pages, ninety pages.
0: Yeah, this is this one is eighty pages. The, the PDF that I had, so I don't know how many pages it would be in a book. These are both like big pamphlets. Uh, the Smoky God, as well, um but I don't know this one is it's really weird, and like you said there's seems like chunks of it are missing um part of the story seems really rushed uh there's a lot of emphasis on stuff that doesn't really seem to fit with like you know the whole gist of the story I mean like I guess I guess you need to get some of the female readers so you make the love story, but like I don't know. Well, you love, don't just have love farmers
2: reading was, this but also whores so love story was terrible
0: yeah it was really bad
2: yeah but yeah so that's that's the Iron Republic <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: yeah it was I don't know it's weird it was very weird um
2: But definitely the presence of the technology there, the descriptions, the sound language, the use of sound and its importance, it seems, throughout the entire culture. Um, Very interesting stuff, especially for the time.
0: Yeah, it seems like they might have been discussing what we would call Antiquotech at times. Right. Yeah. Very interesting. All right. So enough of the Iron Republic. Now, they went south and got out. Um. I, oh, by the way, the Fiddlers of Ironia. I thought that was funny, like Knights of Sidonia, Sort of. A, yeah. The Fiddlers of Ironia. Uh, whatever. Uh, fiddlers
2: on the Brutonia.
0: Right. I guess you could, yeah, Fiddlers. <laughs> All right, we're going to talk about the Smoky God next. Now, that is uh, Willis George Emerson's book. Another one that's very short. Um, the actual book. I have the actual book. Let me see. Hold on. How many pages is the actual book here? 60... Yes. After The afterword is on page 69. So... 68 is the end of the actual book. That's pretty short. Especially considering the actual book starts on page... Mm, let me see, the actual book starts on, well, the the story starts on page 17, so the whole entire thing is, like, 51 pages long.
2: Uh, I don't know, my copy, Olaf Janssen's story, story starts on page 45, the conclusion is page 173, afterward is 184. Wow. I don't know. Maybe this one's. Uh, I have a a PDF that's like a more classic print, so maybe that's why. Ah,
0: no, this is just a. He's
1: got the more classically printed one.
2: It's a no. I mean, it's it's, it's, a... it's literally like a a scanned version, like a very good quality scanned version of a book. So I think that's why. Okay. But it's a PDF. It does have all the the illustrations though. Alrighty then. He's in nice. Um, yeah. But this one is not Emerson's account of himself. Mm. It's the account of a fisherman, or former fisherman named Olaf Janssen and his father.
0: Oh, this one has this one has like blank pages and pictures and there's advertisements in there too for There's pages that are locked. What is this? Yeah. Watch. Add a library in your pocket for eight ninety nine a month. Does yours not Watch. have that?
2: i posted to you the one that I have.
0: Yeah. and it's, I'm pulling it up like, after page 60, this page is locked to free members. Purchase full membership to immediately unlock this page. Yeah, that's weird. Okay. Forgotten books, full membership. What? Mm-hmm. Do you have a membership to forgotten books?
2: uh no, I do not hmm. I'd like
1: one is it
2: oh choice. yeah That's this nice. this one is weird. This one does have some advertisements in it, but it's uh it's still the same length
0: yeah, but page ah. sixty one is covered up by a this page is locked check it out look at look go page sixty right. And the last thing the is the italicized ones. part, right? From the northwest coast of Spitsbergen, and you scroll down. The next page is sixty-two, and it's mm. the the end of a sentence. Warm and tranquil. Sons of bitches. Mm. Odd. Mm. Yeah, it does that. Uh, it does that a couple of times, and there's blank pages, and it's like, yeah. Oh, and no wonder it's like so many pages, dude. It's like you have on one page is like a quarter of is what is on the pages in my actual book. So that's why it's only like sixty something pages long. But yeah, you—if this is—if this came from a book and those are actual pages out of the book, that's a short little thick book. But anyways, so the Smoky God. Is a fictional tale. Now it 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 says right off the top that it is a fictional tale. Now, um, as was the Iron Republic, but um, this is like what based on a true story.
2: Well, it's the it's the framing narrative. It's it's kind of similar to what Edgar Rice Burroughs did with uh, with some of his books, where you know the story, the subject story is passed down to the author. Uh, mm. to record it and put it out. So it's kind of a convenient vehicle for fiction. So whether it is a true story or right. or not, it's kind of left up to the reader.
0: All right. And this is Olaf Janssen's story. And Olaf Janssen himself even says that it's a good thing that this guy is writing this story because it's going to sound crazy. And since you're just telling my story and I'm going to die, it'll be fine. It's a pretty crazy story, and it is. Um, Now, Olaf Jensen was a fisherman, right?
2: Yes, he was from the northern coast of Norway. Yes. Um, And he and his father would frequently sail up north past the Lofoten Islands, uh, up into the Arctic Circle, and would ply their trade there. Um, now, it gets started pretty quickly. They, they actually get blown off in a storm. And they end up going further north than they ever had before. And eventually what happens to them, is start to notice that they're coming out. They're, they're not seeing the same islands that they always did, that they were used to out there. They're not seeing you know as much frozen tundra uh they're passing or not tundra I'm sorry frozen ice uh they are passing through this but eventually they come into more temperate waters uh warmer climate atmosphere they actually see more vegetation uh which obviously is crazy for the arctic circle right
0: right cuz it's supposed to be cold but the the further north they go the warmer it gets
2: i mean, that's kind of good right yeah i mean i mean i would i would definitely prefer that
0: uh, yeah i don't like when it gets cold
2: <laughs> um but they <clears throat> so they pass through into these warmer waters and uh, notice that there are a giant vegetation that they're seeing um, they see fresh water they see uh, even notice evidence of animals at first so their passage what they don't say automa- or right off the bat is this is a passage supposedly into the hollow earth a mm. uh, very similar kind of draws um what's the word call uh, draws a call back i guess to uh, like admiral Byrd's supposed diary where they record that they saw uh, woolly mammoths elephants and temperate vegetation
0: right but they flew into a hole in the earth that was how he got he got into the hollow earth
2: right here it appears that they sailed straight through Mm -hmm. which is interesting it
0: seems more like they they sailed up to hyperborea yeah so as as what we would what um like the garden of eden that whole theory that the garden of eden is at the north pole and it's actually where hyperborea is and the other there's got the the four rivers that divided into four continents
2: right uh the uh oh god what is it the uh gihon the pishon the head and the euphrates yes rivers um this one so overall this book just before we get super into it seems to be kind of the opposite of the iron republic in the author's intention of what they record so the iron republic mm-hmm. is is full of a lot of reformist political arguments and um Yes. Very. Kind of framing about the
0: modern world. Mostly filled with political arguments.
2: Yes. <laughs> this one focuses a lot on like the nature of this inner earth that mm-hmm. they go through and the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, As so a opposed lot of to how there. they
0: feel politically about work.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Our republic was a. Politics book that has some very interesting setting locations yes. and technologies. Yes, definitely.
0: Okay, so the Smoky God is not the Smoky God is, um, actually more story than than politics. No, there's no, there's like no politics actually.
2: No, it don't. It almost completely uh, sets up very well the. I guess you could say the map of this world Mm -hmm. uh, sets apart the nature, the culture, the people that live there, the, the uh, very large statured peoples, Mm -hmm. uh, their writing system, the animals, all detailed.
0: Right. Well, the the thing about the iron Republic is that the people they ran into in the iron Republic were basically Americans. They're Europeans. Right. They spoke English. So these, now the people that Olaf Jansen and his father run into, they're not Americans.
2: <laughs> no, they're they're giants. Mm-hmm. Actually, yes, they are white skinned. They are fair skinned and ruddy with ruddy complexions. Uh, but they are of a giant stature.
0: Mm-hmm. And now his father, now uh, Olaf Jansen's father was six foot three, so he was a pretty decent sized guy. And these things, these these people were giants.
2: Yeah, one of the I love one of the, some of the illustrations in this book. Actually, I posted them in the Skype a little bit above. There's two of them that kind of detail the the scale that we're looking at.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah.
2: And the clothing's interesting too. Uh you guys know the Antiquitech archive research Telegram channel? Mhm. Um, the guy who runs that, he did he's done more than a few posts on giants and one of his like he, what he calls a smoking gun the existence of giants was were, were the the clothing of a lot of these royal societies, these royal peoples that were photographed in you know middle late eighteen hundreds, mm-hmm. and they looked just like this.
0: Actually. Yeah, they did. They did, and these giants definitely seem. Yeah, there's like the the Tartarian garb.
2: Yeah, honestly, when I when I think of like Tartaria, as far as like geographical kingdom goes, kind of in that that Russian Asian. Mm-hmm. Siberia area Mm -hmm. this is what I think of when I think of their their dress uh, their culture through their fashion
0: yeah yeah that makes sense and and of course and they're white obviously
2: they're white they got big beards right they got the tall hats not the small hats Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that we know of that we know of right yes
0: what do you mean that we know of they sure their hat sizes may vary but like I don't think that has anything to do with with uh, small headed people. I wish
1: they said they were wearing fezzes. You know, <laughs> I like pictured a, them in. I pictured them in a fez.
0: Really, a fez is kind of middle. That would be like more like the, like maybe the Persian branch of the Tartarian <laughs> Empire wore <laughs> a fez. Yeah, like the the uh, Timurid Empire. Yeah. And instead of having their uh instead of having their personal transportation be like their own personal like kite that's powered by their own muscles that could be like the flying carpet, you know.
2: <laughs> well, they I mean as far as transportation goes, uh drawing a connection with Iron Republic, they also have a monorail system. Oh yeah. Now the science of the monorail system there's there's not real descriptions of like how these things work not like Iron Republic but they do have a monorail system that they travel uh just everywhere in this inner earth world this megafauna megaflora world um and from pole to pole mm-hmm. apparently if we're thinking in a globe fashion
0: right which would tend to corroborate what uh, Admiral Bird quote said about the German craft that could go pole to pole in seconds.
2: Right. Is it seconds or minutes?
0: Minutes, seconds. I mean, one's just an extrapolation of the other. Yeah, that's true. Hmm.
2: Uh, but yeah, they, the description of the technology is kind of muddled, um, which I guess kind of lends itself if this is written by, let's say, a Norwegian or... Uh, written by somebody who was not as well-learned as a lawyer. Um, right. But they mention <laughs> they mention the air pressure and gravity are not really used, um, but it's more... Um, I'm sorry, the, the air pressure and gravity are deconstructed, and they somehow relate to how the, car travels, the monorail car travels. But that's about it. <laughs> I guess it's meant to be mystifying, in a way.
1: Uh, I don't re- I don't recall during the Iron Republic him ever talking about how the technology actually works. Just that, just the way that it's working. Yeah, you know, the, no, si- the silence, the smoothness, the efficiency, but not not really like the nuts and bolts of of how it works.
2: No, but he he does give more description on on what it's like being inside and uh, some of the other technologies like the sound on demand, he kind of gives a description of how it's operated. Um, Here's not as much description into how these things are, are used. We just know that they are.
0: Hmm. Well, they use them in both these stories,
2: right? Hmm. That's the important thing. And this and that's that's really like the biggest uh biggest or only time that what's his name? Uh Emerson really delves into any detail on technology is talking about the monorail. Most everything else kind of focuses on the culture and the nature.
0: Right. They don't really talk about any of the, the, the workings of it. And the the other one it does it talks about how they're the whole workings of all of it, very intricate system that they had there in the iron Republic. This one it just exists.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and he does mention in, in a sentence, I can't remember what pages in the, uh, in the book, but he does mention that they, uh, quote, hold communication with one another through the most distant parts of the country on air currents.
0: Right. So some sort of frequency, right? Technology,
2: um, but this this culture seems to be steeped, um, kind of owing as well to their the differences with the Iron Republic people. So the Iron Republic people are more European, these people clearly are not, they speak another language, um, and they have other religion. They don't, you know, really worship they don't have any knowledge of like the Bible or, or worship, mm. you know, any God that we know other than the sun. They have sun worship on the
0: inside. Right, and they yeah. worship th- their sun, which is the Smoky God, which is the the sun in the middle, surrounded by electrical clouds. Right.
1: You know i I know we mentioned it briefly the crazy the crazy old guy on the train in the Iron Republic, the Zionist.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But one of the interesting things about his rant is that all history. That is that is recorded in the Iron Republic are all lies, and everything. And there is no world outside the ice wall. And, right. And that when when this when um was it Barrington
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: when Barrington said I'm an American, you know, when talking about the United States of America being real, um, you know, he's he called him a liar. And he got into a physical altercation with him on the train. <laughs> right. Yeah, which is something people don't do in the Iron Republic. There's no interest in crime or, uh, well, yeah, you know, the economic situation is they they've eliminated rich people, so everybody right has, nobody's everybody rich. has something
0: right. There's, yeah, nobody's there's, rich. There's equity.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a graduated income tax, which is something that was being pushed heavily, uh, at, at the time in the reform era, the progressive era. Right. And and it's
0: amazing how this all coincides with the politics of the day.
1: Right. Uh, but, but, you know, just the, the, uh, the Zionist being the, the, you know, all history's fake, everything's a lie. There's no world outside the, there's no world outside the ice wall.
0: That's pretty funny. That's I, funny that it is the Zionist. Yeah. Yeah. It's really funny, especially to us. <laughs> Isn't that wild? It's very wild.
1: Uh, but he kept, uh, Reinhardt, what did he keep referring to the scripture as? The Zionist. He, a parable,
2: right? An allegory. An allegory. He called it yeah. the great allegory, I right, believe.
0: Right. The, yeah. The great allegory. That's right. The divine allegory. Divine.
2: divine allegory, allegory, Thank you. It was
0: the divine allegory. Right. I already said it earlier. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, the crazy Zionist talking about the divine allegory. Hm.
1: I didn't mean to derail from the smoky god uh discussion at all. It's just I, I found that it, I found that latter portion of the book, that, that latter experience to be quite fruitful in its <laughs> in its yeah. discussion. Yeah. Anyway, re- religion religion in, uh, in Hollow Earth. How's that going?
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually... Yeah, em-
2: Emerson describes uh, the, the smoky god or the, the sun and the electrical cloud as the throne of their jehovah mm-hmm. And they do have a high priest that lives in a city called Eden. They oh. call it Eden.
0: They call it Eden. Right.
2: Um, and like you said, Johnny, there are the four rivers uh, that emanate from the city. Um, and these beings live longer lives, huh. eight hundred years, even
0: what a coincidence.
2: Mm. Hmm. Draw straight back to Genesis. There's, there's one thing that I thought was actually really interesting. I was, I was reading a, um, uh, commentary that somebody wrote on the book and they pointed out Emerson is, is a little bit defensive of, of a lot of his biblical references, and he specifically mentions uh, gigantic trees, it says, and how if the Bible said there were trees towering over 300 feet in height and over 30 feet in diameter, growing in the Garden of Eden, the Ingersolls, the Thomas Paines, and Voltaire's would doubtless have pronounced the statement a uh, myth. Hmm. Uh, yet we have a description of a California sequoia here. So he's he's defending these fantastical like megaflora, megafauna descriptions I just think it's interesting that he mentions the giant trees is kind of what he focuses on all that right. we're in this earth.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, those are, those are definitely a thing. Um, <laughs> and they definitely, well, I mean the North pole, the Rupus Negra, you know, the, the, that was the Yggdrasil, right? The giant tree, right?
2: The world tree. Mm-hmm.
0: So all the old, the old legends all the old uh, cosmology had the, the, the giant trees
2: right um, do we want to talk a little more about the people
0: sure they were giants
2: they were giants and they spoke as emerson calls it a form of sanskrit
0: yeah so which ancient, is weird
2: like indo-aryan language
0: yeah, sanskrit's that i mean i didn't know that could be a spoken language
2: I mean, you, I guess. you can read it. You can speak it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, yeah. I guess it would have to be. Yeah, then I mean, you just write it down. But it was like the language, but the... It's just lines. It's cuneiform. Like, that's what I'm saying. It's like... Interesting. Well,
2: cu- when we're talking about cuneiform, you know, they, they would do represent specific sounds, mm-hmm. Each each portion, unless we're talking about pictographs. Which pictographs represent entire words, um, but there is spoken language that goes along with the written. Um, I don't know a whole lot. I'm not super well versed in Sanskrit,
0: honestly. Hmm.
2: I just—it's just interesting. He kind of throws it out there. They speak a form of
0: Sanskrit. Yeah, it's like oh, okay. It's
2: like, I love—I love that Reinhardt has
1: declared on the show that he's not well versed in Sanskrit. I'm not.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the thing you have to declare around here, Dog dogma. Yeah, you
1: can't. Mm. You can't just be the fucking pronunciation <laughs> pronunciation expert of the paranormies and not be well versed in Sanskrit, like, Akkadian,
0: yeah.
1: Hittite, and uh, you know
0: Sumerian. all Sumerian, yes, <laughs> Sumerian, Hittite, uh, uh, Scythian,
1: like, yeah. ebonics. Clearly, whoa. Whoa. Oh wait, we'll have John Fashcroft on for another episode.
0: For Admonix, yeah, well, that's where. There you are. go. That'll work from the source.
2: <laughs> but I do think it is interesting. he points out Sanskrit, even if it is kind of a throwaway thing, because obviously Sanskrit does have its linguistic origins tied to, you know, Greek, Latin, other Indo-European languages. Mm. So, is he? Is he? like giving the game away here with tartarian peoples or what Well
1: the entire time I was listening to the Smoky God audiobook I was picturing that this guy had basically found like a remnant portion of the Tartarian Empire you know with people of a stature that befits some of the architecture that we've seen that have in- incredibly odd Proportions for people of our size,
0: right?
2: Right.
1: And is it is it further north? You know, what was it? it, it, Did did he end up like in what we now know as Siberia, which could have been the central the central hub of the of former Tartarian Empire? Could have been. Yeah,
2: it's possible. It's possible the hollow earth thing is just a vehicle for the fiction. And that this is an actual geographical kingdom. And this is, this is the Tartaria that we think of.
0: That's possible. That's possible. And that's, you know, they're talking about this highly evolved, technologically advanced society um, of giants, white giants,
2: And what gets me is the uh, the sun and the the cloud, the electric cloud around it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't quite know what to make of that, uh, because if are we thinking that this is a essentially, is this an account of if we're taking it as fact, is this an account of something that happened in the eighteen hundreds or or you know rec- relatively recent in the last couple centuries? Is this kind of a Tolkien situation where this could be information that was written, written down, you know, hundreds of years ago and rediscovered Mm. and is then put into a more for the time modern fiction vehicle. Um, Because there are, there are references to firmament, um, firmament and other ancient, uh, very ancient ideals but of course, this happened in you know, eighteen thirty, eighteen twenty-nine.
0: Right. Well, both actually don't they? Don't both these books talk about the firmament? I know in the yes. Iron Republic they do quite a bit. Yes, they do. So, even these guys knew about the firmament. It wasn't just Werner von Braun. No,
1: not my operation, paperclip, buddy. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Not my base Nazi.
0: Not Walt Disney's bestest friend.
1: We got the best ones after World War Two. God bless Alan Dulles, right?
0: Right.
2: What a guy. What a bro.
0: And, well, and his brother.
2: And his bro yeah. What what bros they are.
0: Alan and uh what was the other one? I don't remember his brother's name. Dwayne. I don't know. <laughs> D-Wayne wayne no D-Wayne Dulles no it was Alan and oh god damn it I don't remember
2: I'm looking it up now
0: anyways that's what Grogneck's job is
2: that is no you're right you're right I'm sorry
1: are we waiting
0: I don't know, Grogneck are you looking that up would you want sorry
1: oh my god Oh, something's never changed i know right? i've got it <laughs> oh
2: john john foster and alan dulles
0: that's right john foster and alan john dulles and alan dulles that's right oh Oh, oh my, my god.
2: god why can't they just call him john
0: i don't i don't know they asked the three names that's you know i don't like that
2: oh i gotta do a quick mea culpa what's that i mixed up smoky god and uh an Iron Republic. In this, in this regard, it was Olaf Jansen. Actually, in uh, later on in the book, he's the one who said, "I wish to state that I firmly believe science is yet in its infancy concerning the cosmology of the Earth. There is so much that is unaccounted for by the world's accepted knowledge of today."
0: Okay, so it was in the Smoky God. Yes. Okay. They they both supposedly become flat earthers after their journeys.
2: Right. Yeah. Barrington does make references to that, though.
0: Well, that's cool. They've both become flat earthers. because I, you know. think,
2: I think that is interesting that they both mention that cosmology mm-hmm. a few times.
0: It's very interesting.
2: So Olaf
1: goes in the earth, but he comes out of it thinking that it's
0: a flat plane. Mm-hmm. Well, well, he doesn't necessarily I don't... go into the earth. He went far enough north to where he came out to where it was a nice temperate climate.
2: Well, and in, in the book, he says that he went in the North pole and came out the South.
0: Oh, so I think right, that's, yeah.
2: that's where people are thinking he went inside underneath and then back around kind of, I don't
0: know. Yeah. Um,
1: so
2: the, I don't understand what the
1: smoky God is. And I thought the smoky God was a, was sort of like a, a would be the core
0: inside. Yeah, it would be the, the core. Earth. It would be implying that the Earth is a ball and that it is the center. So, okay. Yeah, the Smoky God would imply that it was a ball and that he went into the center of the Earth, much like Jules Verne.
1: And it rises in the west and sets in the east, right? Isn't that Correct. what they said? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so it goes the opposite direction of,
0: of the, the sun. sun outside of, yes.
2: Right. Now, I mean, the title of the book is The Smoky God or A Voyage to the Inner World. Um, so I think we can leave room for interpretation here, especially with us. We've we've talked about these subjects enough to kind of understand that even if the earth, the Earth is not a sphere, even if it is hollow, it doesn't have to be a sphere. You can go inside and come out another cavern. Right. Which I think is exactly what happens. He comes out another cavern that just happens to be near what we call Antarctica. Sure. And there are other entrances.
0: Oh, sure there are. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, you've got all the dumbs, you know, that that are clearly have been there
2: all the dumbs, you've got uh, places that the Mayans knew were entrances to their uh to their realm of the dead Xibalba, right. uh, mm-hmm um, in yeah. the near east
0: yep many mm-hmm. caverns mm-hmm all kinds giants of had
2: it. to hide somewhere
0: <laughs> yeah so all these things you know like I said before it's lasagna earth it's layer cake earth
2: honestly yeah I I subscribe to that.
0: I always have. I mean, I always, I always, yeah, it makes more sense. I mean, even if you look at the old cosmologies, like whether it be Aztec or, or Mayan or, you know, Hebrew. Oh God, not the Hebrew one. Ah, it's Jewish. BTFO. It's Jewish. Shut up. But Hindu and Norse and Ancient, ancient irish based china yeah china based based china for all you Cynophiliacs out there <laughs> um what it's sin of sinof, oh sinophile sorry sorry sinophiliac
2: no, sino, just... means, means you're obsessed i know
0: what means it means bang. i'm doing a bit
1: I know <laughs> what it means man some people love chinese stuff man right so weird right they're like, oh man, if we could only do the social credit system ourselves, except,
0: you no. know, just
1: white people, right. it would
2: be so awesome. It's as bad as the white Sharia meme.
0: White Sharia yeah, meme it's, was terrible. It's almost
2: actually slightly worse because it's yeah. godless. Uh, yeah, that's true. Well, at most least, of the people I, I know that the propagate white, the white Sharia meme, they're not, a, it's also godless.
1: No, I know, but at least there's the pretext that there's a religious reason for, for, for a that's, certain sort of social oppression. That's yeah.
0: fair. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's if you want Social oppression. Sure. <laughs> sure, if you want to look at it like that. I mean, why not? <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Right? I mean, I
2: mean okay. that religion is based on a blood god, but sure.
0: <laughs> oh, which one isn't?
2: That's also very true. Yeah. Well, uh, some are based on smoky gods.
0: right. Right. Whoa, nice you yeah, and we, and and we
2: know nothing about the culture of these people, whether they're uh super militaristic or not. I mm-hmm. believe weapons are described at some point, I think. But they don't see uh, they seem to live in a
0: utopia. hmm yeah, I, well. I don't recall.
2: It seems to be it's much more of like a religious um what's the word for that? uh theocracy it's more of a theocratic society
0: mm-hmm. and they worship the sun
2: right sun worship being one of the three oldest religions to date sun serpent and the the bull
0: yeah i don't see i don't see any mention of weapons unless it's on one of the redacted you have to pay for it pages <laughs> which is possible <laughs>
2: No, I'm not seeing any. I posted another one for you, the one that I'm actually reading out of.
0: Oh. You might want to take that one down off your chat.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna to have to change that out. I honestly I think I have two. Because I opened another one. I think I have two
0: and I used the wrong one.
2: But um anyways, yeah, through the artwork here and seeing the the massive animals, I would assume that they do have they at least have weapons. They may not make war on each other in the story, but they do hunt. Um, Hmm. Yeah. And just based on my personal thought, if these giants are the same as the giants of the ancient world, you know, demigods, Nephilim, whatever you want to call them, I have a hard time believing that they wouldn't be making war on each other at some point. And, you know, drinking blood.
0: Well, what if they're not they're just giants?
2: Yeah. And that could be something though that the author wants to wants to push is this idea of these superhumans that are more advanced, they are um they're larger, they're smarter, they are more ancient, more advanced, more enlightened than us.
0: I mean clearly looking at the stuff that we look at, these buildings that have both you know, normal and giant size entrances and stairways and whatever. Right. Um, I mean, clearly there's evidence of giants and normal sized stuff at the same time. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, they don't necessarily have to be Nephilim. I don't think
2: Uh, I'd agree to disagree on that.
0: You think that you think that the, the giants are, I mean, they said that like Adam and Noah and all them were a lot bigger than us. So,
2: yeah, but you also have to look at the authors of those texts, who were typically Freemasons or Gnostics, mm. Jews, even straight up Jews, mm. who wrote a lot of those. Yeah, apocalyptic Jews. <laughs>
0: well, anyway, so these guys sailed into the center of the earth, and sailed out the other side. And they were there for two years, and then they left. That's, that's literally, literally it. We were here for two years. We got to know them pretty well, and then we took off.
2: Yeah, learned their language, learned their culture and everything, and left. And Janssen was the only survivor, actually. His father died.
0: Right, but there's a lot of, like, skip ahead, skip ahead, and we left.
2: Right. It's kind of same as same as Iron Republic. In that regard.
0: Well, yeah, there was a a lot of talk about the love story and then skip ahead, skip ahead. They're all done.
2: Spoiler alert. She dies of a broken heart. Wait, she dies. I thought he died. No, she dies.
1: No, I thought he died.
2: He. No, Barrington didn't die.
1: I thought Barrington died at the end.
2: No, no. Barrington's the one who published.
1: Huh.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's also a good point, Grognak. Uh, None of the crew said anything about, like, no. Barrington's crew, like, nobody nobody said a word about this. Barrington says he has his ship in the Tampa Harbor that everybody can come and see what he's got, but the crew just, like, goes on their merry way. Right, right. They don't say a word ever again.
0: Nobody it's says It's not anything, like they were traumatized. Yeah. No.
2: Their time there seemed to be pretty peaceful and mm-hmm. all the crew got like thirty days of free leave
0: <laughs> when they <Right>. got there. <laughs> right. And apparently Yeah, nobody said anything when they got back. Just very quiet. They probably signed NDAs. Oh, think so? I mean. I don't know. Maybe.
2: I just made that part. The, up. the men in black suits show up as soon as they pull back in. Right, York. they
0: got flashy thingy. Right as soon, as, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, so in this, in this, Olaf or uh, Jansen says that his father's. Yeah, I was talking about how big the giants were. My father's six foot three did not lift the top of his head above the waistline of these people. So, these people were twice as tall as his father, who was 6'3, so 12 foot tall, roughly.
2: Sounds about right. Yeah. Let's say, let's say 12 to 15, 12 to 14, you know, depending on shorter giants, taller giants. And there you go. Yeah. Big boys. And the food, the food that they ate was mm-hmm. also pretty large.
0: Yes, the food they ate was huge. Big old yeah.
2: grapes.
1: Big mm. old grapes. Grapes, grapes those, as large as an mentioned. orange.
0: Apples larger than a man's head. Mm. It's pretty big.
2: Giant tortoises. Yep. Um, another thing one, uh, that I forgot to mention, uh, they have uh, their own grand harmoniums there. They have temples, entire temples dedicated to music. And the arts, really so this is yet another yes. utopian artsy society?
0: Well, it seems that both of these stories have a lot of similarities.
2: And only written a few years apart from each other, if I remember correctly. Um
0: yeah, Smokey God is eighteen what do we say, eighteen thirty seven? No, hold
2: on. Um, uh, the voyage took place in eighteen twenty nine. The book was <clears throat> the book was uh published in nineteen oh eight. So only six eight, years right. after Iron Republic.
0: Yeah, so six years apart. So Right yep. in that yeah, turn of the century where all this fantasy and stuff starts popping up a lot more
2: yeah and you've got a lot of influence of theosophy um you know different mystical beliefs that are coming around around this time you know late 1800s early 1900s spiritualism mm-hmm. was very big edgar casey um stories of atlantis as this like occult perfect society of indo-europeans uh, that were advanced enlightened um, is something the the Freemasons and Rosicrucians also uh, delved into themselves? I don't know it's just interesting. This all is happening uh, around the same time, post reset, post industrial revolution quote air quotes um, this reformist era.
0: Hmm. Well, I mean, there you go, and all that was coming out. All in the same time. Coincidence? Probably not. (laughs) There
1: are no coincidences. Right. I've heard that before.
0: Right, right.
1: Journey to the Center of the Earth also. And uh, didn't H.G. Wells write the history of mankind around this time too? Yes.
0: Yeah, all those... Excuse me, how are you on there? All those uh, all those books came out around that time, 1860
2: to 1910. Yeah, and like I mentioned earlier, uh, towards the break, it's just very interesting that we see the shift from traditional stories and mythology, which were regarded as an intrinsic part of a people's history, into this entertainment, fantasy, science fiction, Um uh, that seems to kind of supplant or replace these stories of fairies or ghosts, giants, witches, uh, ancient kingdoms, right? Arthurian legend, ancient kingdoms, Atlantis. Um, These things tend to touch on those and create more fantastical ideals. And it all seems to be centered around what we consider to be post-reset or the most recent reset period. Mm-hmm. Almost oh. like a replacement for what mythology always was. Uh, like you and I were talking about the other day, Johnny on the phone.
0: Yeah. Well, hold on. What um, were we talking about on the phone?
2: Uh, we were talking about you know, mythology, traditional history. They were representations of oh, like great power of magic oh, right. and technology. Right. But now they're, now they're all just pushed into the realm of fantasy, much much like uh, culturally, you know, tribalism is pushed into, say, the realm of
0: sports. Sports, right. Because sport, yeah, sports appeals to your your uh, sense of tribalism, your you know, your association with colors and names and stuff in your, your your town. Um, whatever that that's they get you there and then magic. No, no, Magic's just, you know, just Mickey Mouse. No, dude. It's you know, always just animating some mops. That's what magic is now.
2: And Harry Potter fighting magic Nazis.
0: Right. And they've even they even <laughs> Magic Nazis. They've even incorporated uh sports ball into magic and you got your Harry Potter flying around playing Quidditch. Right. Yes.
1: Yeah, there wasn't any mention of uh sports ball in the Iron Republic.
0: No. No, so, no, no
1: football clubs. It's really really weird that it's all this athletic achievement, but there's nothing, I mean, all this artistic achievement, but nothing about athletic
2: achievement. Well, they Um, did mention that, you know, pre-current iteration that was founded by uh, that guy's name, Adam Holt, uh, they did have kind of warring factions. They did have war. They said, you know, the the hills were stained with blood, even the capital city. hmm. Um, So... maybe they did at one point you know these colonists come over and they they bring their traditions their tribalism and everything over and I guess the Iron Republic was the result of shedding all of that I guess you could say Hmm. that's what it seems to at least uh, uh, what's the word I don't know that's what it seems to represent at least you're saying the nerds won. I mean they're they all look they're all described as athletic Indo European peoples, so Indo European nerds. Hyperborean nerds. Hyperborean Hyper, nerds.
1: Hyperborean nerds.
2: There you go. There you go. Revenge of the Hyperborean nerds. Revenge of
0: the Hyperborean hyperborean. Okay. Oh, <laughs> Remember, remember that Stereos, <laughs> <laughs> Stereos, no Hyper Hyperborean. That was a little, little dude from Mind Unveiled.
2: Oh yes, oh yes. Didn't he admit that he was a Jew?
0: No, that was. Did he?
2: I feel like he admit. No, he went. I think he went full like anti-racist at one point. He did anti-racism at some point, and then everybody kind of figured, like, oh, you sound like a faggot, you're doing anti-racism stuff. You kind of sound like a Jew. Mm. And I haven't seen much from that guy since. I not know. I never liked his voice.
0: Yeah, it's very, uh, very, uh, feminine.
2: Yeah, to do YouTube videos, you, you kind of have to have a decent voice. At least yeah. John Levi had one.
0: I mean, uh, uh, like 1.25.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was calming did, if you wanted to like go to sleep and fall asleep listening to something that wasn't you know, horrible.
0: That, that
1: Morgile audiobook of Iron Republic was hard to listen to. He has such bad vocal fry.
0: I didn't listen to that. I read. I read it. Yeah, I, read. I can read faster than that guy can talk.
2: Yep. I, I, I sat down and did the whole thing in like an hour and a half.
0: Yeah, I listened to um, I listened to some of the Smokey God from two different. Like, I tried listening to John Levi do it, but I was just like, I can't do this. And then I tried to listen to somebody else do it, and the guy had like a New York accent. And it just threw the whole thing off for me. Like, a, a New Yorker trying to do, you know, Olaf Janssen.
2: <laughs> a new yorker trying to do an english reading of a finnish epic <laughs> right right <laughs> sounds terrible yeah like, like i said earlier i just don't have much of a morning commute anymore so i'd I'd rather just read
0: yeah again because like the, the audiobooks are great for when i'm driving but even then, even then, I'm listening to him on like 1.5.
2: Yeah, and be careful when you go too fast in Telegram because it w- it will make the voice sound like it's in a tin can.
0: That's true. That is true. No, I I like the um like the guy that they they use the uh, the British robot voice for uh, like the Eustace Mullins books.
1: Oh, yeah, I like that one.
0: Was, yeah, that I like that one, one a lot, and that one I can listen to on one five, and it doesn't doesn't hurt. The
1: Curse of Canaan uh audiobook is really good mm-hmm. on YouTube.
0: Yes, it is. Well all, all so, his,
1: so it's murder by injection.
0: All of his books are an audiobook on YouTube. All of them are? You can yeah, I've I've got Curse of Canaan, I did uh the the vaccination one, murder by injection, and then also um the world order. Those are the three big ones. I know he did one on the Federal Reserve, I'm pretty sure that one's there too.
2: I'd listen to that one. Oh, I got to check that one out. Yeah. Um, Um, so, so what else do we have here? Well,
0: I mean this, this, you know, we can talk about hollow earth stuff for a second. If you want, this is, you know, these are fictional tales, um, written around the same time talking about things. Now, what was the Island that disappeared um high Brazil oh
2: right? uh, high Brazil off the coast of uh, Ireland
0: Ireland right and that's another one of those those Hyperborean sort of fantasy island places yeah, uh, around um, the same they, time they, too right around the same time period
2: well yeah it's it's mentioned throughout history from I'd, but the last say, time, like it's of been seven, eight hundred years, there are writings about it.
0: All right, but then it's gone; it's been, it disappeared from history. When?
2: Uh, disappears periodically. Actually, it'll show up for you
0: know, mm.
2: a few maps in like a twenty-year period, and then it'll just disappear for a while, and then it'll show back up. When whenever was the
1: non want it to, was... the, to come back, you know.
2: Yeah, or the Fomorians. Whenever they want to, you know, break the break the veil between the spirit realm and
0: The Fomorians,
2: yes. Irish mythology, yeah.
0: No, I know, I know.
2: That's oh, that's that's something we could do is uh Celtic stuff. There's a lot.
0: Okay, well, there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot. There, there really is.
1: Oh, there's a lot of people with regrettable Celtic tattoos.
2: Yeah, that too. This is true. (laughs) A lot of people Celtic cross. Oh boy. Uh, Oh, yeah, Grognak brought up a good point here. I almost forgot. Uh, Mm. Olaf Janssen was imprisoned upon his return. Yes. He went to his family. The first thing he did when he finally made his his way back from Antarctica to uh, Norway, went to his family, and they had him imprisoned in a sanitarium. Uh, Thought he killed his father or something like that. Uh took his took his inheritance, whatever he would have had, left him with nothing, and he was in a sanitarium until his fifties.
0: Yep, then he got out and he moved to California.
2: And he moved to California. Because <laughs> why not?
0: Which is the where he start. met Which is where he met Willis Emerson.
2: Mm-hmm. from from Northern Norway to the Lofton Islands to the Inner Earth to Antarctica to California.
0: Hmm. It's
2: a well-traveled man. No, but it is interesting that they that it's pointed out that they specifically put him in a mental asylum.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, of course.
0: I yeah. mean, that's where you... Was it a... Was it a reclaimed Tartarian asylum?
2: I mean, it could be. They all are, right? Yeah, I, I would venture to say probably. Unless, it, unless it was a sanitarium in Norway and it was like a, a shack in the middle of a frozen lake or something like that, I wouldn't exactly call that Tartarian.
0: Hmm, that's true.
2: It may have been a castle former castle
0: oh, castles are cool i i still i still want to hear people's explanations for how they built some of those castles in europe like some of those crazy ones that are literally in the mountains
2: yeah i, I mean that's another uh, another episode we can do done star Fords, sanitariums yeah castles next
0: yeah we got to do we got to do more of that stuff you know it's just because i just find it wild
2: i'm pretty sure we're we're topic wise booked up for like the first half of season seven already oh yeah
0: for sure absolutely but you know what we are we are out of time we're gonna finish up this one right now we're done we're gonna get out of here um next
1: friday next friday we're gonna be uh streaming correct
0: yes I was going to say I was going to tell people, yes, we are doing our first live stream of this season over on D live because we haven't done the other stuff yet, but we are going to be on D live. Check us out next Friday. Uh, it'll probably be nine to midnight Eastern. Something like that. Nine to eleven thirty something. Who knows? Maybe later, maybe less.
1: Thank people in
2: advance for the niggaginis and stuff. You know? yes.
0: Ni- yes. 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 Yes.
2: Yeah, that is dlive.tv slash theparanormies. Thank so you. So just go follow us, and we'll post the link throughout the week.
0: Yes, yeah, so we will do that. <laughs> so you
2: guys can get ready.
0: And we'll make sure it's in the show notes for this and for next week's Nationalist Inquirer. And, uh, yeah, it'll be our first live stream. We will see you in the middle of the week for the Nationalist Inquirer. Uh, I think everybody will be here for that one. All right?
1: I will be. Yep.
0: Yep. I cool. will be. All right. And we got a creepy pasta at the end of this. Uh Yeah,
2: that that creepy pasta will actually be an original written by our very own Grognak. That's right. Everybody enjoyed the first one which was uh Seramorphosis and this one will be kind of in the same vein. I love it. I can't wait for you guys to hear it.
0: All right. Yeah, things are going to get nerdy. Oh boy. <laughs>
2: All right, and it's well, spooky
0: okay all right well we'll we'll let you read it and uh we'll see you all later.
1: Time travel makes you gay
2: in the thick bog of creepy curling tree limbs is a clearing where a small hut stands dreamlike in nature, sitting in grim luminescence. I know not what brought me from my slumber this night, but I know I followed her here. Every waking moment has been a reminder that my dreams must be chased here in this forest. The light pours through the cracks surrounding the door. I push it open and step slowly inside. The putrid stench of decay fills my nostrils immediately, and I feel my dinner churn in my belly. I begin to slip on the floor. A large pool of blood lay pouring across the wooden boards of the hut. A large crow greets me with a caw, and I lose my grip on the door handle in surprise. My feet kick out from under me, and I feel the back of my head collide with hardwood when I come down. Everything feels fuzzy and warm and the blood on my face, I know not if it is my own. Dreams of a seductress brought me here, promises and whispers, sweet soothing melodies I've not heard before, something I obsessed over in my waking hours, that I dreamt about in a haunting manner each night, as tempting as these visions of escapades have been. I know not what force has moved my feet before this wicked place I find myself in now. My eyes do not betray me. From my refinement I can see the true form of the evil entity before me. A hag as vile as any my imagination has ever spared me. I am overcome with dread. Such creatures have only been tales of sparse and mad widows in the dredges of society. No god-fearing man would affiliate with those who do dealings with the denizens of such cursed practices. This particular hag seems to have an affinity for fleshy things. Her abode is draped with the viscous of many unidentifiable playthings. Made from the fat of her catches, light the grim lair. Intestines are strewn through the rafters like macabre streamers, celebrating the death that surrounds this hell. A long, toothy grin stretches across the putrid face of the thing as it revels in delight. Like tearing the wings from a fly, the hag. Pulls the skin from the shuddering and shaking mass at its hands. Large claws peel away the skin with gross, meticulous motion. I feel my own skin start to burn as a sensation of heat begins to crest around me. I'm too horrified, too astonished to take my eyes off this horrifying fable. The hag smiles and stretches out the new skin in the light of the candles takes a moment to fashion a small pouch or a sack from the set of needle and thread it pulls from a drawer. It pauses only for a moment to pull a large, writhing, wriggling thing from a sore on its haunches and push it into its toothy grin. They say a hag is known to fashion a bag from its victim's skin, to contain its very soul within. I may be bearing witness to such a thing. I feel as though my eyes may give. They feel as though they burn and bulge from my very visage. I lift my hands from the boiling water around me, and my skin falls away from my arms like paper in the cauldron. I let out a scream as I consider the old adage of a boiling frog being very, very wrong.